0: Amen. Lord, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, that we can have intimate fellowship with you. May we never take that for granted. May we never take it lightly. And Lord, I just praise you for each person who's here. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that every one of us has been born again. It's truly a miracle. It's the greatest miracle of all when you take someone who's dead in their trespasses and sins. You make us new creations in Christ you fill us with your Holy Spirit, and then you walk with us every day. Lord, we just come humbly before you tonight, desiring to know you better, because Lord, to know you is to love you, and we want to love you more. And Lord, we want to reflect you to a world that so desperately needs you. So Lord, we ask that as we go to your Word, that you would be our teacher. Thank you, Lord. We're all here by divine appointment. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say, even At the end of a long day, those who might be tired, Lord, give them uh, ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 19. If you don't have your Bible, you should grab one. It will help. Help keep you on track. Make sure I'm not being a heretic up here. Amen. All right. Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to announce this or not, but I will anyway, and then if I get in trouble later, then I'll get in trouble later. But uh, I was talking to my dad today, and those of you who know my mom and dad, that my dad's been over at Calvary San Jose for three years or so now, helping out over there, but it uh, feels like his time is done over there, so my mom and dad will be coming back here full-time. Amen. And my dad will be serving full-time at the church, which will be great. We'll be starting up some more Bible college classes again, and some other things that he really has a heart for, I have a heart for. and. Um, you know, it's great to have a guy on staff who's been in the ministry for 50 years, amen? It's a great thing, so I know I'm, I'm somewhat selfish on my part, but also those of you who know him, he's also one of my favorite Bible teachers on this planet, so it's going to be great to have him here. All right, Luke, Judges 19, and you know what? People have been talking to me for weeks about this chapter. People have come up to me and said, oh, Pastor Dave, I'm glad I'm not you when you teach Judges 19. Because this is one of those chapters that no seeker sensitive church or anybody teaching topically would ever teach. And even if you're teaching through the Bible, this might be one you just let go by. But you know what? If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason, amen? And all of God's Word is there to teach us something. Now, I titled the message tonight, The Depths of Man's Depravity. And as you're going to recall, that the last five chapters of Judges are really like an appendix to the end of Judges, where the first 16 chapters give us a chronological order of 400 years of these seven cycles where they are walking with the Lord and then they sin against God, they fall into total rebellion, and then God, finally they get to the place where they cry out to the Lord, He brings them a judge or a deliverer, that's why it's called Judges, and they're restored to right fellowship where they walk with God for a period of time until that judge or deliverer dies and they go right back into sin again. Now these last five chapters... Because the conclusion of the Judges in the book of Judges was Samson. The last five chapters really go back in time to the beginning of the book. And we looked at several people and kind of behind the scenes what was going on. Here's what was going on with the Judges. What was going on with the people? As we saw in chapter 16 or 17, excuse me, was when we looked at Micah. And if you'll remember him, Micah was a guy who, you know... Stole from his mother, and then she caught him, and he gave the money back, and then she turned around and gave it to him because she found out he had stolen it, and he was this spoiled, rotten little kid, right? And then he bought his own gods and started his own religion and bought his own priest, Jonathan, the grandson of Moses, and started doing things his own way. But as we know, that's really a picture of how man will try to serve God our own way. You know, we don't serve God our way, we serve God his way. Amen? Amen. We don't tell God how it's going to be. He tells us we follow him. By the way, he knows better than you. Aren't you glad? And so I'm serving a God who's greater than me. And if he wasn't, he wouldn't be God. And so we follow him. He's the one that leads. Well, Micah had set up Jonathan as his priest. And then last week, we saw the Danites came along and stole his gods. Now, you know, if your God can be stolen, that's not good. If you come home and your God got stolen while you were out, you know, that's not good. And this is what happened to Micah. His God was stolen. His priest was stolen. His priestly garments were stolen. And the Danites went up and they found a land where instead of obeying God, they found a land that they could go in themselves and wipe out without any help. They trusted in their own ability. Guys, we need to come to a place where we're desperate for God. And trials are a good thing because it keeps us from trusting in ourselves. And so we know that this is a a book that's telling us just how heinous the people were in those days. That the Danites we know went up. We talked about it last week. You never see them again because they go in and wipe out a people God never told them to wipe out. And it says in Jeremiah, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, the world today says that man is inherently good. Let me correct that. Man is inherently wicked. That's what the Bible says. The humanist says, oh, man is inherently good. Man left unto himself will do the right thing. Oh, really? Look around sometime. Man left unto himself will almost always do the wrong thing. And tonight's text is one of the clearest examples of that. We're going to see the depravity of man. And we're going to see just how deep into depravity a man can get, a people can get in a very short amount of time when they stop putting God on the throne. Guys, the only reason that we can ever do anything good is if we're following God. We never do anything good apart from Him. So you're telling me that people that don't know God don't do anything good. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Is that true or not? So it is true, and so, well, maybe they do good deeds, but here's the point. What are good deeds ultimately? Because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last, and nothing else is going to matter anyway. Amen? And so we're going to see a very clear picture that there is wicked behavior throughout Scripture. Most of the time we see it performed by the pagans. But we're going to see in tonight's text people that call themselves after the name of God being very wicked. And we'll see how quickly it happens. All that has to happen is that God has to be removed from being the one that they follow. We're going to see that. This group of God's chosen people, first an individual man who was called a Levite to serve alongside the priests, and he's supposed to settle disputes among God's people, and very quickly, he becomes very ungodly, and we'll see it tonight. But then we also see a group of God's chosen people, the descendants of Benjamin. Benjamin's name means son of my right hand. Benhamin, Benjamin. And you know what? Benjamin was was a favored son of Jacob. He was the youngest son. He loved him dearly and it's so sad to see how quickly his descendants get so far away from God. We're going to see their actions be so heinous that at the end of this chapter and leading into next chapter, next week, it's going to start a civil war among all of Israel. Because their actions are so brutal as you're going to see tonight. So brutal that even those who are walking in rebellion are going to recognize their actions are evil. This chapter is not only an indictment on those who are mentioned, but also serve as a warning to all of us of the depths of man's depravity. And again, the humanistic mantra that there are no absolute truths. Is that something that's being repeated over and over today? Well, what's good for you is good. You know, if it's good for you and you feel good about it and you believe in it with your whole heart, then that's good. As long as it's good for you. Guys, there's only one truth. There's only one way. There's only one hope. There's only one life. His name is Jesus. Amen? And anything else, any other way, any other path is not the truth. There is no hope and there is no life at the end of it. And so it's very clear and it's very important that we understand that we need God desperately. And the times of Judges was not much unlike today, that... This absolute true thing and this mantra of the humanist is not an intellectually superior form of open thought to be embraced, but is an avenue for the depravity of man. When you start believing in humanistic thought, you're just pushing the depravity of man. You're pushing the humanistic view that man is inherently good when he's inherently wicked, and when you leave man unto himself, look around at the world we live in today. Imagine what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit's removed. Man apart from God is completely wicked. It says in the last verse of Judges, Judges 21-25, And in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now according to the humanists, that should be a good thing. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. That should be great. That's Hey, that's nirvana, man. I mean, that's the ultimate society. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Let's, we'll take a look at the chapter tonight. As we see everybody doing what's right in their own eyes, and we'll see what kind of nirvana we've got. And look around in the world today. If the Word of God is right, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes is going to be a disaster. And if the humanists are right, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes is going to be great. So let's take a look at the chapter. And and you know what? If you already know that if God says something it's going to be one way, then that's the way it's going to be. Amen? Because God is always right. Man left unto himself is going to be even worse. You know, Jonathan was a a Levite and he was bad. The guy in tonight's chapter is worse. You know, the Danites were a mess. And in my opinion, the Benjamites are worse. And we're going to see it tonight because, again, the depravity of man comes upon us so quick. So I only have two points tonight. The depth of man's depravity. Number one, a man who walked away from God's calling to fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're going to see a man who's got a calling of God upon his life, and he chooses to go his own way and ignore God and do what he wants to do, and we're going to see how that works out. By the way, that is so prevalent in the church today. God's got a calling on our life, and we're just too busy for God. We're too busy building our kingdom, building our stuff, buying the toys that we want, right? Spending money we don't have on things we don't need to impress people we don't know, right? That's what we're doing. And we're out there chasing the buck and doing all this stuff. And here God has this mighty calling upon our lives. And we're so busy, we're missing it. We're going to see a man like that tonight. And then second, we're going to see a group of people who walked away from God's blessings and turned themselves over completely to a reprobate mind that the Bible talks about. They're going to just turn themselves over to their flesh completely. What happens when you give yourself up completely to your flesh? We'll see that in tonight's text. So the depth of man's depravity... Number one, a man who walked away from God's calling to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 1 of Judges 19. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. Here lies the problem. Herein lies the entire problem for the rest of the chapter. There was no king in Israel. Now, who was supposed to be their king? God. God was supposed to be their king, and yet they had chose to turn their back away from God, and God had to to keep bringing human judges along because they couldn't just look up to the Lord and trust in Him. Guys, you know what? I am for submitting to the authority as God has called us to do, and I do that, and I pray for our president, and I pray for our elected officials, and those types of things, but you know what? I don't put my faith in any man. I put my faith in God. No man. You know why? Man will fail you every time, won't he? But God is faithful. And God was their king, and there was no king in Israel because they had removed him from the throne of their hearts and instead were being guided by their, lustly, their lust, their fleshly lust. Now, the world today doesn't want anybody to be in authority over them, especially here in Santa Cruz, right? Question of authority. You want to make a million bucks, just print up some question authority stickers and put a... You know, like a save the whale on one corner and, a, you know, someone hugging a tree and, you know, you sell them out, right? Because, you know what, that's what happens. Men begin to worship the creature instead of the creator. And they question authority. I don't want anybody over me. And I'm not submitting to anybody at any time. I'm going to protest everything. And that's where we live. And you know what? We need to get to the point where we, learn, we need to learn to be submitted completely to God. Both the nation and its individuals were godless, and the depths of a nation and a people or individual may fall once. God has been removed from its rightful place and authority. You know, what? once you start falling, it's a bottomless pit. It really is. We think that it can't get any worse, and yet it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Things are worse today than were five years ago. Now, I'm not a doomsayer, and and you know what? I'm as patriotic as anybody. I really am. I love this country, I'm blessed to live here. But you know what, as we're going to see as we go through the text, this country is not anywhere near as godly as it used to be. It's not. And we'll see why. But the pit that we can fall into is virtually bottomless, and the things that once shocked us have become commonplace and even acceptable. That's what happens when we get away from God. When God's off the throne, then the things that used to shock us now become commonplace. The things that used to shock us now become law. The things that used to shock us now become, if you don't believe in it, you're anti-American. It's amazing. The greatness of our country wasn't found on our government, our economy, or our educational system. But when somebody came to find out why, God, why the church, the, com- the country was so great, he said he found it in our churches. Because people were praying and seeking God. And God was the priority in this country. And he said this, America will continue to be great as long as America continues to be godly. When America ceases to be godly, America will cease to be great. Our greatness is tied to our godliness. Not how many weapons we have, and I'm not against having them, or anything else. But it's where we're at with God. Let me ask you this, and then I'll move on. But in a country where we murder millions of innocent babies and we call it choice, Where our main sources of entertainment contain adultery, fornication, murder, rape, and the cursing of our God's name. Where pornography is being viewed in a majority of the homes in this country. Where sexual purity is mocked and promiscuity is celebrated. Where there's an agenda to distance our country's government schools and public squares of all things godly and where the sanctity of marriage is being challenged as a bigoted institution because we won't let homosexuals marry each other, is this a godly country anymore? Now, I'm not being a doomsayer. Here's what I want to say. We need to pray for God to bring revival here. When we look and we see it, how should we respond? This is still the greatest country on the planet as far as I'm concerned. I'm blessed to live here and I love it. I love this place. I really do. But we need to get back in love with God. Amen? Amen. America is not as godly as it once was, though it remains a godly remnant here. May God use us. And while we can and should pray that we as a nation will return to the Lord, you know what you can control? How you're doing with the Lord. You may not be able to control what all 50 states are doing or what the governors are doing or what any authority is doing, but you can control how you're doing. You can decide how you're going to do in your relationship with the Lord. So as it came to pass where there was no king in Israel... And it's coming to pass where there's no God in America if we're not careful. Amen? And we need to put him back on the throne. Then it says, And there was a certain Levite. Now a Levite of the tribe of Levi, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. They were the tribe chosen to serve in the tabernacle to assist the priest. They were also the interpreters of the law. People would have a dispute and they would come to the local Levite. Who were, they were spread out all over the land. This Levite happened to be uh, stationed in Ephraim. And the Le- they would come to Levi and say, hey, we got a dispute over something. And he would open up the law and he would explain it to them. So he was kind of like a government official, kind of like a pastor. And he was a spiritual leader of the people. That's what the Levites were called to be. Set apart by God to serve alongside the priest, to interpret the law, to settle disputes, called again by God, anointed by God for service to him. Levite. Now look what it says about him. He was staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim, and he took for himself a concubine. Now, wait a minute. Spiritual leader. He's the interpreter of the law. Does he know what the Bible says? At this point, the, the Bible is the law of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Does he know what it says? Yes. Does it say one man for one woman all the way back in Genesis? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what a concubine was? It was basically a legalized mistress. It was a woman on the side that everybody knew about. Amazing. Now the amazing part about this was that because women were so devalued in many cases that they would openly have concubines. And the sad part is a lot of mighty men of God had concubines in the Bible. Abraham. Caleb. My boy Caleb, I love Caleb. What are you doing with a concubine? What's wrong with you? And what they would do, in a sense with a concubine, is they would have a woman whose job was completely to meet their needs. They would even have children with them often, but the children didn't get any inheritance. They were like a second string wife who didn't really get to be part of the family, but she was just there to satisfy the needs of the man. That's what her job was. Now, I can imagine there'd be some bitterness if I was a concubine. Amen? How, she's the wife over there. She's got his stuff, you know, living in the... T- and I'm over here. Oh, I'm the concubine. Now, this Levite takes a concubine. This is a sign of a guy who's not getting it. Amen? He's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to lead by example. If I ever show up here with a second wife, drag me out front and beat me senseless, okay? (laughs) After you fire me. Here's the point. This guy's supposed to be the spiritual leader. What kind of example is he setting? Not only were the people perverting things, but so were the religious leaders. And how are they doing it? By getting away from the word of God. The concubine provided for his physical needs with no real commitment on his part. What does that sound like? most of the dating scene today no real commitment on my part but hey right and you know what guys are liars by the way ladies amen (laughs) liars he is your brother until he's your husband she is your sister until she's your wife treat her like it amen all those years i was youth pastor you say look If you wouldn't do it with your sister, don't do it with her because she's not your wife yet, so she's your sister right now. Amen? Amen? Now, you might hold your sister's hand, but that's about it. Right? You're not going to be sitting on the sofa with your sister. If you do, you're going to be in trouble with your dad. Amen? Don't do that. So here's the point. The point very clearly here is that this guy is getting away from the truth of the Word of God, and he's doing what is right in his own eyes, even though he knows the word of God says different. These concubine relationships were never approved by God, but sadly they're very common among men. And like I said, Abraham, Jacob, Caleb, Saul, David. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I bet he didn't even know all their names. I have an idea. He said, oh, I want that one for a wife. Oh, she's already your wife. You married her. She's wife 274. Oh, I didn't know. A thousand wives. 700 wives. And 300 concubines. Solomon. And the Bible says he was the wisest man who ever... I don't understand that. Dude. Not that wise. We never see this kind of family blessed by God. Here the Levite is. And you know what he's doing? Uh, I'm doing what I want. I want to have a secondary wife. I want to have another one over here where I can get what I want but I don't have to have any real commitment to her. And you know what, if we have kids or whatever, no real inheritance is going to happen and that's the kind of relationship I want and this is a man who's supposed to be leading. It says here, he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. I find that interesting that she was from Bethlehem where Jesus would be born. But his concubine played the harlot against him. Now, you know, this is not okay but I can almost understand it. Here you are, you know, in many cases they'd have a wife or two and then they have these concubines over here and so what are they really treating her like anyway? They're treating her like a prostitute or a harlot, aren't they? Now she, they would have to make sure that they were fed and they were clothed and they would even call them their wife sometimes and they would, you know, we're going to see in the text they would call the man their husband but we're going to see very clearly here that this woman, though living as this legal mistress to a Levite she had no godly standard of her own and she played the harlot. What does that mean? It means she slept with other men. Now you know what happens? If you tell a woman that all she's worth is to fulfill the physical pleasures of a man, you know what? She's going to start to think that that's all she's worth. Isn't that right? You know what? We got It's so messed up in the world today the way that men treat women. It's just wrong. It's just straight up wrong. They're treated like objects. They're not objects, guys. Amen? I got a daughter and a wife. And if you mess with either one of them, you're in trouble. Amen? And if you're here and you got a daughter, you know what? We should treat them with honor and respect. Amen? And this is not what's happening. And this guy's a Levite. He's one of the guys they look at and go, oh, he's one of the lawgivers. Yeah. And here he is with a concubine. And she plays the harlot. We'll find out later. While it's not an excuse, we shouldn't be surprised because she's been treated like one. And if meeting the physical needs of a man was all that she was good for, then so be it. And look what it says here. And she went far away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. Now, when she slept with another man, it was against the law for her to do that because she was his concubine. This just cracks me up. There's no law in the Bible that says this. This was their law. Okay, you're my concubine, which means you only get to be with me. Now, I can be with other women, including my other wives and other concubines, but you'll only get to be with me. And if you're with another man, then I'm going to, it's adultery, and then I'm going to have you stoned to death. Nice situation, right? Now, this woman, after committing adultery from the Levite's perspective, runs away. It could be potentially that she was afraid of being stoned. We don't know. She, quote, sinned against her husband, though not really her husband. And she'd been gone for four months, and so the Levite begins to miss her. So he decides he wants to go get her back. Look what it says. Then her husband, again, calls her his husband, even though concubine, not really his full wife, doesn't have all the wifely privileges, but again, considered, tied to him. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and to bring her back. Now, isn't this the way that a dog works? He treats the woman like a possession, he, he's, he's totally in it for himself, and then when she leaves, he gets real nice because he wants to get her back. Isn't this true? This is what happens. From these words alone, it may seem like he really cares about her. When we get to the end of the chapter, you're going to find out he doesn't. Though she'd been unfaithful and sought, he sought to bring her back. Now, again, I will say this on a secondary issue, though not really fully in the context. I believe God's highest is always restoration for marriage. Always. Now, are there times where God allows divorce? The answer is yes. But is God's highest always restoration? I believe the answer is also yes. Amen? I will never counsel anybody ever to get a divorce. I never have and I never will. But that doesn't mean there aren't times. The Bible says that if someone commits adultery, you can get a divorce, but God's highest would be that you'd be restored. If the unbeliever departs, it talks about Corinthians. That If that unbeliever departs, and I know people who've tried for 10 years to get that person back. And that person divorced them anyway, and you know, and you should, and you know, let me say this. If you're the believer and they're the unbeliever, you should never divorce them. They may end up divorcing you. God's highest is always restoration. And it may seem from this perspective like he's trying to be restored to his wife, but that's not what's happening. He just wants to get her back. And we'll find out because we know by the way he treats her going forward. That he doesn't really care for her. Look what it says. It says, to speak kindly to bring her back, having a servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So he brought him, so she brought him into her father's house. And when the father saw the young woman, the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad and met him. Now, what's interesting that he finds out that his daughter's a concubine, she's bringing back a Levite. Now, again, you gotta remember in those days, a Levite though not worshipped nor should they be, they were kind of honored because they were in a position that highly called by God. And this Levite comes along and he's, quote, not really married to her to his daughter, but it's a concubine situation and they have housing together and he has to provide for her needs. And so when he sees him coming, I mean, his daughter comes running home, no doubt probably telling her dad, hey, I was with another man. And now he comes Shows up and he thinks, oh, he's willing to take her back. He's showing some grace. Her dad thinks, hey, this is a good thing. But we're going to find out again what kind of man this Levite really was. Because as he comes and spends time with her father, notice what they spend time doing. Look what it says. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him and stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. They had a three-day rager. <laughs> this guy's supposed to be the spiritual leader. He, he not only has a, a woman on the side, he not only has a concubine, but now he goes to the concubine's his father, quote, father-in-law's house, and he's partying with them. If your pastor comes over to your house and has a three-day rager with you, go to another church. <laughs> Amen? This is not good. One day became two days, became three days, and here we get another glimpse of this Levite's character. Because he had been called and anointed by God to be a spiritual leader. Israel is in total darkness at this time. Is that true or not? They've walked away from God. So what should this guy be doing? Not partying. What should he be doing? He should be getting, guys, we got to get our eyes back on God. He should be going out and everybody who would listen to him, taking him back, to the Ten Commandments, taking them back to the Word of God, drawing them back to the Lord. Instead, he's eating and drinking and being merry. The Levite spends his days partying with his legal mistress's dad. Now, don't get me wrong. As Christians, should we have joy? What's the answer? Fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy, amen? Nobody's happier than me. Nobody should be happier than you, amen? Because my joy isn't based on our, our, my circumstances, neither should yours be, it's who you are in Christ, and that's not going to change. That doesn't change with your health. It doesn't change with your job or anything else. But at the same time, too many in the church today are eating and drinking and being merry rather than trying to live lives holy and set apart unto God. Too many in the church today are doing that. It's not about being... And again, we have greater joy. Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? You've heard me say it many times. It's amazing how the world calls alcohol spirits. They don't even try to hide it, do they? You can have the Holy Spirit, or you can have the spirits. Choose one. The unholy spirits. Amen? And so be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need that stuff. But too many in the church today are trying to tiptoe with the world, be entertained by the world, live like the world, party with the world, And at the same time, call themselves followers of Christ. Guys, God isn't keeping us from sin because he's a no-fun bummer God. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. He forbids it because he knows it will harm us. I don't keep my kids off the freeway. I want to play ball on the freeway. No. But I really want... No. Now, is that because I'm a no-fun dad? It's because I love my kids. And God's doing the same thing with us. Now, look what he says here. Then it came to pass... On the fourth day that they arose early in the morning and he stood to depart, but the young man's father said to his son-in-law, refresh your heart with a morsel of bread and afterward go your way. So they sat down, the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man, please be content to stay all night and let your heart be merry. Let's stay here and have some fun. Verse 7. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he rose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young man's father said, please refresh your heart. Have a brewski. So they delayed until afternoon. And both of them ate. Again, the Levite, he rises early in the morning. It seems like his intentions are it's time to go. But his dad, hey man, just hang out a little while longer. Have another one. Isn't that how the world is? God's got a plan for you and calling on your life. You're going to be busy about it and there's someone always there with something else in mind. The enemy, right? Well, you could do this instead. You could do that God stuff tomorrow. That's one of Satan's biggest lies. You've heard it said, you know, if, I, if we say no God, people won't buy it. If we say no heaven, people won't buy it. But if we say no hurry, maybe it'll buy that. And that's, that's where a lot of believers are today. It's no hurry. There's apathy within the church. So look at the result because he keeps getting sucked into hanging out with his father-in-law and they're drinking and being merry and he says, please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon and both of them ate. Verse 9, and when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father said to him, look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that you may get home. So he's trying to keep him in a place again. Oh, stay here. Where is the Levite supposed to be? Does he have a place he's supposed to be? Yes, he does. He's got a place he's called to be, serving the Lord. He's left there to go chase down his legalized mistress, and now he's hanging out and partying with her dad when people are showing up to get, and there's no Levite. Where's the Levite? He's partying. What, is this, what kind of testimony is that note he 's fulfilling the lust of his flesh, and you look at the result's going to be look at verse ten. However, the man was not willing to spend the night, so he rose and departed and came opposite Jabez that is Jerusalem with him were two saddled donkeys, his concubine was also. With him. Alright, so because he's been hanging out and eating and drinking and being merry, and because he succumbed to him that morning, he leaves late in the day and he's not going to be able to get all the way home. And when we succumb to the lust of the flesh, we end up walking in darkness, and that's what happens to this guy. He succumbs to the lust of his flesh, and it's going to get dark before he can get all the way home, so he's going to have to stop. May not seem like a big deal, but it's going to be a very big deal as we read through the text. Now he came. To Jabus, that is opposite Jerusalem. Now, here's the interesting part side note Jerusalem was given to the Benjamites. But the Benjamites thought the Jebusites were too big, and so instead of settling there, they went down the roadways and settled in Gibeah. Now, God had commanded them to wipe out the Jebusites from Jerusalem and dwell there. So now the Levite gets to Jerusalem, and he's not going to go there. Why? Because the Jebusites are ruling within Jerusalem, but yet he's going to go up to Gibeah, and the sad thing is he's going to find a worse group of people he would have found if he'd stayed in Jerusalem. Look at verse 11. They were near Jabus, and the day was far spent, and the servant said to his master, Come, please, let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master, the Levite, said to him, we will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not the children of Israel. We will go to Gibeah. So who's in Gibeah? The Benjamites. The Benjamites were supposed to be in Jerusalem. So what have we learned about the Benjamites already? They don't obey God. Right? God said, Jerusalem's your territory. Oh, not so much. Those guys in there are kind of big. We'll Go down the road and find some little guys. Kind of like the Danites, right? You know what the Danites did last week? The Danites said, oh man, the Philistines in our territory, let's go up and get those Sidonians. And they don't even really have an army up there. They're kind of napping. We'll just come right in on behind them and we'll wipe them all out. Well, the Danites didn't do well because they disobeyed God. And guess what? Here we have the same thing. The Benjamites are not obeying God. And as soon as we take God off the throne, it's a slippery slope into the depths of depravity. And that's exactly what we're going to see from the Benjamites. Look at verse 13. So he said to his servant, come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way and the sun went down. Now, why did the sun go down? Because they were hanging out partying too much with the father-in-law. They could have gotten all the way home to safety. He could have gotten all the way home to where God had called him to be and been using his gifts to minister to people. And instead, he has to stop somewhere. Why? Because he was too busy fulfilling the lust of the flesh that he missed out on God's highest. Guys, we can get caught up in doing fleshly things and we'll miss out on God's highest. So, he comes to Gibeah. Again, the land that is dwelt in by the Benjamites. Their lack of faith to go out into battle tells us that they're faithless before God. And then it says... Now look at this part, because it starts to show the hearts of the Benjamites. As they passed and went their way, the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside there to go in to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Now, are all of them children of Israel? What's the answer? So they're all related. They're all family. In those days, there were no hotels. So what you would do when you came to a city, you'd go into the town square and you'd sit there and wait and then somebody would come along because that's hospitality in the Middle East. And then someone would come and say, come and stay with us. You know, having been to India numerous times, I've experienced that kind of hospitality there. People who have nothing will give you everything they have. And there's that kind of a mentality. You come in their house, they put you in the nicest spot, in the nicest place, in the nicest chair. They care for you. And you know what? I think we could learn from that. Amen? Invite people into our house. Give them the nicest stuff. Give them the nice bed. You sleep on the one that rolls out with the bar in the back, right? You know what I'm saying? Give them the nice stuff. And here was that mentality in the Middle East, but we can tell the Benjamites have gotten away from God because they're sitting out in in this town square and nobody approaches them. It's dark. They're sitting in the middle of the town square and nobody shows them hospitality. You know what? Hospitality was huge in their culture and the Bible says it is a requirement for a pastor today. Those of you coming on Sunday mornings, a couple chapters from now, 1 Timothy chapter 3 says of a pastor or an elder or someone who serves, a deacon. They are given to hospitality. And that's a reflection of somebody who's not greedy, right? Because if you're given to hospitality, it means you're willing to give away your stuff to somebody else. Come and have it. You don't view it as an inconvenience, you view it as ministry. Well, darkness had fallen. They're sitting in the town square. The city is filled with fellow Israelites, and not a one of them comes out and shows them any hospitality. No king, no authority, no hospitality. No king, no God on the throne, no hospitality. It's amazing how our everyday life is impacted by who's on the throne in every aspect of life. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Instead of walking in obedience to God's word, man left to himself is not good but wicked and there's no hospitality, just an outward sign of a greater problem that is about to come. It says, and when he went in, he sat down in the open square. No one would take him in to his house to spend the night, verse 16. Just then an old man came in from his work in the field at evening who was also from the mountain of Ephraim. He was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of of the place were Benjamites. So there's this one guy who's not a Benjamite, who comes back out of the field, it's dark, he walks through the town square, and he sees this Levite with his concubine and his servant and a couple of donkeys and some supplies sitting in the open square at night. And... He shows them hospitality. But we're going to find out, this guy's not so great either. Matter of fact, we're going to find out a little bit, he's just straight a mess. But right now, what he does do is something that nobody else had done. Look at verse 17. When he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going? And where do you come from? So he said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem and Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem in Judah. Now I'm going to the house of the Lord, but there is no one who will take me into his house. Now, here's what's interesting. Where does he say he's going? To the house of the Lord. There's the house of the Lord at the time. The tabernacle was in Shiloh. So that means this guy could actually be serving in the tabernacle where they're making the priest, they're making the sacrifices to God where the holy of holies dwelt. And he leaves the holy of holies to go chase down his concubine. He's eating and drinking and being merry and hanging out there for days. And now he's coming back and he got a slow start and now it's dark and he's sitting in the middle of the city and a got another fellow Ephraimite shows up and says, "Okay, come stay at my house." And so he's going to go do that. He needed some shelter. He needed a place to stay. Now look what it says there in verse 19. Although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself and for your female servant and for the young man who is, your, who is with your servant, there is no lack of anything. What he's saying is, look, if you bring us to your house, you won't have to feed us. we got all the food we need. We just need a place to keep us out of the rain. And we're going to see in a minute away from some very hostile, hostile people. Now look what it says in verse 20. And the old man said, Peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Hey, this guy sounds pretty good, doesn't he? No one else will take you in. Come to my house. And you know what? I know you got supplies, but you can eat my food. And I'll take care of your animals. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house, and he gave fodder to the donkeys, and they washed their feet, and they ate, and they what? And they drank. What are we learning about this Levite so far? He likes, his he, likes, he, likes his alcohol, he likes his wine. He likes to be eat, drink, and be merry. He likes having a woman on the side who he can tell what to do. And he's supposed to be serving God. Is man inherently good? Not so much. And you know what? This chapter is going to go straight downhill from here. Because so far, all we've seen him doing is... He chased down his concubine. He got her back. He's been eating and drinking and partying, and now he's going along. He's supposed to be in the house of God, serving there. Instead, he stops along the road because he got a late start because he was drinking too much, and now he's drinking some more and he's hanging out with this guy. And again, you know, wow, all right. But this guy is compromising in its ungodly behavior. All these things he's done, taking on a legal mistress, eating and drinking and being merry when he should have been leading others spiritually, it's going to result again in some heavy-duty consequences. So number one, the depths of man's depravity. When left to himself, a man we see first who walked away from God's calling in order to fulfill the lust of the flesh and look at the depravity that's about to come upon him. We're going to talk more about him. But now we're also going to see the Benjamites getting involved. Because man left unto himself is wicked beyond measure. And God's people, when they walk away from God's blessing, are going to turn themselves over to following their flesh. And I'll tell you what, this is not pretty. Let's take a look here. Now look what it says. As they were enjoying themselves, they're just drinking away and laughing and having a good time and maybe talking about friends they got in Ephraim. Oh yeah, who do you you know Joe down at the... Yeah, talking about Ephraim, right? They come from the same city. It says, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat the door, and they spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him carnally. How the Benjamites doing? Man is inherently good. The Benjamites show up at his door and say, bring him out so we can have sex with him. How far away from God have they gotten? The Bible calls them what kind of men? Perverted. The Bible calls homosexuality perversion. I know we live in a politically correct society. I want to make this really clear. Does the Lord love homosexuals? What's the answer? Absolutely. Does he love homosexuality? No, absolutely not. Is it sin? Yes, it is. Are people born that way? No, they're not. Do they choose the behavior? Yes, they do. Just like a man chooses to be an adulterer or a fornicator. Amen? Amen. Now, can God deliver people from that? Absolutely. But I, you know what? They're saying, you know, they're pass, they passed some laws in Canada that if you teach you the book of Romans chapter 1 or you teach you a verse like this where it calls it perversion, it's called hate speech and they can arrest you. So when this chapter goes out on the radio, if the law is passed by then, you know, bring me a cake with a file in it because I'm going to jail. But the point is, we need to stand up for the truth and and love people enough to point to the fact that sin is sin. Not because we're self-righteous and holier than thou and we're trying to put someone else down, but because we love them enough to let them know that where they're headed is harmful. And there's a God who loves them and wants to deliver them from that. And though where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, Amen but these guys show up and this is just like another story in the bible genesis 19 remember the story of lot he's in sodom and gomorrah it's where you get the word sodomy from sodom and sodom was filled with homosexuality and they came to the door of lot's house and the same thing happened but here's the difference the people in sodom were idolaters and these were children of Israel living this way. What happened? There was no king in Israel. They took God off the throne. You know what every cult does? Makes God less and man more. Oh, well, God, yeah, he's God, but oh, yeah, you know, but he used to be a man. So the Mormon church says, right? He used to be a man on his own planet and he did a good job, so he got to be God of ours. And if you're a good man on this planet, you get to be God of your own. That sounds really good. And you get to have as many wives as you want, really, and some concubines, you know, or whatever. And the whole point is, it's a flesh-driven religion, isn't it? Guys, God is so much greater than we could possibly even give words to. No matter how great you think He is, He's way greater than that. Amen? And no matter how much you think you need Him, you need Him way more than that. And we're not... This close to God, or this close to God, we're so far, man, you know, at the same time, He's a loving, gracious Heavenly Father who draws us near unto Him. We call Him Abba Father, and we can call up into His lap. That's the God we serve, amen? Now, what's interesting here is, these men of the city, as soon as they take their eyes off of God, as soon as there's no more king in Israel, as soon as God is no longer on the throne, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, what happens? Sexual perversion. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. No godly authority. The word beat the door there says it was getting louder and pounding. The word for perverted men is worthless, unprofitable, or wicked. And that we may know him carnally. We want to have homosexual sex with him. Romans 1 calls homosexuality vile and shameful. Vile and shameful. Leviticus 18 says you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. But Israel had become like Sodom. Why? They took God off the throne. Guys, why is it so important that we not dial down, water down the word of God ever? Because when we do, we'll start to become like Sodom. Amen? And we've been seeing it happen in our country. You know, back in the day, in the fifth grade, you learned how to read using your Bible. You didn't get public funds from our government unless you taught the Bible. Now if you teach the Bible, they'll take your public funds away. How far away are we getting from the Lord? We're becoming more and more like Sodom. No authority, more, no moral standard. Everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. Today we're becoming like Sodom. Gay rights, homosexual agenda. Every, have you noticed that every show's got to have a homosexual character now? Why is that? So it will be acceptable. And if you say that homosexuality is wrong, you're a homophobe. I'm a sinophobe, amen, in my own life too, I'm a sinner saved by grace, amen, and the point is that we've gotten to the point where everything's got to be politically correct, you know, we used to be an immoral society, which means we knew what the morals were and we chose to go against them, we're now an amoral society, which means there are no morals and the only people that catch grief are the ones who have morals, that's where we're living today. As you look at the final stages of this nation, we're going to see that, every, you know what, Every many great nations have fallen, they had one thing in common. You know what brought the Roman? when the Romans came down, you know what was rampant? Homosexuality. When the Greeks lost power, you know what was rampant? Homosexuality. And what's rampant in our country today? I mean, again, I want, you, want to make it very clear, God loves them, and we need to reach out to them. And it's no It's not an unforgivable sin. Amen? God's a gracious God. So they come and they want to have sex. These are the Benjamites. Benjamin, son of my right hand, Benjamin. And look what happens, verse 23. But the man, the master of the house, and this guy we thought was kind of nice. He saw the people out there. He brought them into his home, said, I'll give you my food. You don't need to eat your food. And I'll feed your donkeys. Look what this guy does went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. He calls homosexuality wickedness. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. It was outrageous to come and do this. But look what he says next. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. This guy needs to be slapped. Are you kidding me? This is my young virgin daughter. Do with her as you will. Mob of guys. Oh, and you can have the concubine of the other guy too. Just help yourself. Uh, Rape them until you're good and done. I'm, I'm being blunt, but that's what's happening here, right? This guy, again, when there's no God, there's no morality. When you leave man up to himself, he falls to a depth of depravity that we can't even see how deep it can get. Is this depraved or what? Can you even imagine this? I'd die first. Somebody show up at my house wanting to get my, they go through me. Amen? amen. Every mom and dad in here would say amen to that, right? You have to come through me, over me, by me, and it ain't going to be easy either, right? And instead, he's like, yeah, just have my daughter. I'll bring her out. I'll just bring her out to you, and you can have her. It's so sad how women were treated in that environment. And I want to say this, too. People today are looking, you know, women want to be liberated. Let me just tell you right now, the greatest thing that can ever happen for women to be liberated is the gospel to be brought to a country. Because everywhere the gospel has been preached, women have the greatest amount of liberation and freedom. Is that true or not? You look at Muslim countries and Hindu... and what, what, Women walk around in a big tent with a slit over their eyes, walking eight steps behind their husband, treated like a second-class citizen. Is that true or not? And people then attack the Bible as being a Bible that, you know, is a, is a male-dominated book. It's not at all. If you read the Bible, we know how God says that women are to be treated. But listen to this. But the men did not heed Him. They didn't want the virgin daughters... The virgin daughter and the concubine, he still wanted the man. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them. Now, wait a minute. All right, the Levite, you, you've been a mess. You've already left your post. You've already had this woman on the side as a concubine. And now you went after her. You've been eating and drinking and being married. But now you've gone way beyond everything. Because now he brings the concubine out and gives her to the men to rape. He was acting like he loved her when he went back to get her, right? I want to go speak kind things to her. We find out he's not in love with her at all. He's in lust with her. She only exists for his pleasure. And because it's her or him, it's going to be her. And he's going to send her out to these guys. And guys, it only gets worse. If he loved her, he would have laid down his life for her. But since it was lust and she existed for his pleasure... She was nothing more than an object to him. By the way, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? Because a person who does not know God can only have Aaron love, which is a physical love, and you can have agape love. And if you have agape, which is a selfless love, a love that comes from God, and you have that love for your spouse, and they can only have Aaron love for you, it's going to be a mess. Not only that, you're going to be trying to raise your kids, it's going to be a mixed Wait for the person God has for you. It's always worth it. Amen? And some of you know that you maybe you've waited a long time. Some of you waited a long time and God brought the person. It's always worth it. So look what it says they did. They, and they knew her and abused her all night until morning. This woman, I, and again, I hate to be graphic, but it's in the Bible, so I'm going to be. She was raped one after another all night long. Man is inherently good. I don't think so. Man is inherently wicked. This is what happens when man is left to his own devices. When man does not, know what, does not know what is right in his own eyes. There's no authority. There's no submission. There's no right or wrong. He does what he thinks. And the result is perversion. It's still happening today. People say, we need to get rid of all the rules and all the laws, man, and just live and let live. Right? Living and let live has promoted children being sold into prostitution pornography guys with a number of guys in this room and women in this room but there are people in this room that looked at pornography this week and i love you enough to shoot straight with you when you do it you defile yourself you defile your marriage you defile your testimony and you defile your walk with god and you are promoting an industry that takes advantage and treats women like this woman is being treated right here guys we cannot take that lightly well, you might say, "Well, I'm not married." Well, you might be one day, and you're cheating on the wife you're gonna have by looking at that stuff, and you burn that stuff into your head. And you know what? If you're right, I offend you. Pluck it out. If it, if you know what, if if the computer's just too much of a temptation for you, then get rid of your computer. But I need it. Not that bad. You don't. Amen. Isn't it more important to be right with God? Get rid of it. I've told this story a couple times, but I had a guy in my, that was helping me with the youth group, and I moved up here, and he called me and told me him and his wife both were struggling with pornography on the internet. And I called another, I said, hang on a minute. I called another friend on the other line and said, go over to his house. When you get there, take his computer. Then I clicked back over. Talked to him for 10 more minutes, knock on his door. He goes, I gotta go get that. I go, yeah, you do. It's Tom, and he's taking your computer. He goes, well, we got a bunch of stuff we gotta sell on eBay. I said, you know what? Have a garage sale, because your computer's gone. And you know what? He called me back months later and said, praise the Lord. Thanks for doing that. But you know what? We need to love God enough that we'll do whatever it takes. Amen? Isn't it more important? So let's get back to the story and finish off. Because this is just tragic. They knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where the master was till it was light. So she's abused all night. She has nowhere to go in the whole city. So she goes back to the very place to the man who sent her out to these people. And with her last bit of strength, she falls down at the door. And as we're going to see from the next verse, she dies. So she was literally sexually abused to death. That's what happened to her. And she was sent out there by this spiritual leader, this Levite, this man of God. This man who was called by God and anointed by God to be used by God. And who was it that raped her? A bunch of Benjamites. A bunch of men who God had a plan for. A people who God had a plan for. But what did they do? They put themselves on the throne and look at the depths of depravity in a short amount of time. Guys, when we take our eyes off of the Lord, we can fall away so very fast. Last two, verses. Last few verses. When his master arose in the morning, when her master arose in the morning, when her master arose in the morning, when her master arose in the morning. These verses made me mad. When her master arose in the morning, she was out being raped all night. What was he doing? He was sleeping. This is not love. This is brutal, isn't it? This spiritual leader is napping while his, quote, wife is being raped all night long. The depths of depravity of man. He arose in the morning. She was being abused unto death. Easy to see why she left this guy in the first place. Amen? This guy was brutal. When he rose in the morning, he opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And there was his concubine falling at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. She's laying there dead. He walks by And shows a great deal of sensitivity, verse 28, and said to her, Get up and let's be going. I'm glad I'm never going to meet this guy. How about you? Doesn't that guy just make you mad? And here's the sad part he was a man who could have been used so mildly by God. He was a man that had a calling and a gifting, and he was to serve in the tabernacle, and he could have been in a place to minister to people and keep their eyes on the Lord. And instead, because he got in his flesh, they took God off the throne and started going his own way. Look how far away he's gotten. Now here's the good news for the people in this room tonight. You can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. Amen? No matter how far away you get, you can repent and get right with God. He's such a gracious and loving Heavenly Father. When Jesus isn't King, you don't care very much. Jesus said, Jesus said, as a sign of the end times, because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. But when Jesus is king of your life, you'll be a lover of people. It says this in John, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How are people going to know that we're followers of Christ by the way we love each other? And by the way we love them. Does this look like anything remotely like love? This is so brutal. The way this man treats this woman. Let's finish up. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey, put her dead body, and the man got up and went to his place. Now watch this. When he entered his house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and divided her into 12 pieces. Limb by limb. And center throughout all the territory of Israel, and so it was. All who saw it said, "No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day." Consider it, confer, and speak up. This is one of the most grotesque ways to deliver a message. But what he's doing, he sends out the twelve pieces of this woman to the twelve tribes of Israel, and we're going to see next week that it stirs the people up to all coming and fight against the Benjamites. But here's the insane part about all this. When he gives his testimony, he leaves out the part that he sent her out there. He just conveniently leaves that part out. All of a sudden, it was like, yeah, my concubine, she's with me. And here's the thing. He's not doing this because he loves her. He's doing this because he lost his possession and he's mad. Because if he had loved her, he would have never sent her out there to begin with. If he loved her, he wouldn't have been napping while she was hurting. And if he loved her, he wouldn't have walked out in the morning and said, get up and let's go. I don't think this guy was trying to unite the nation against these men because they killed the woman he loved. But again, because he lost what in his mind was a possession. Is man inherently good? Man left unto himself? This is a pretty gnarly picture, isn't it? But you know the truth? Things this bad and worse go on every day in the world that we live in right now. And you know how? Why? Because God's not on the throne of people's lives. We need to put Him back there, amen? And the sad part about this is every person we talked about in this text today was a follower of God, or at least were part of His chosen people, right? And look how they were living. May it not be said that the church is like the world, Too many churches today saying we need to be more like the world. Let me tell you right now, we need to be less like the world. We need to be more like our Savior, amen? People ought to look at us and see we're radically different. We're aliens here. We should not live like this world at all. So in closing, depth of man's depravity. A man, first the Levite, who walked away from God's calling to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what, there's that fork in the road. The lust of the flesh is on this side and honoring God's on this, on this side. And let me tell you something, you better not try to make the decision on the fly or you'll always make the wrong one. Amen? You need to determine in your heart beforehand, I'm going to honor God. Number two, we saw God's people walking away from God's blessing and turning themselves completely over to a reprobate mind. Man is not inherently good. Man left unto himself as perverse and wicked above all things. That's why Jesus had to come. You could probably live the rest of your life and never hear this chapter taught again. Why? Because this is not popular stuff, is it? But we need to hear it, don't we? Lord, help us to keep you on the throne. Lord, help us to honor you. Who's on the throne of your life, guys? Is it your will or his will? Is it your flesh or is almighty God there? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your love and your grace. And we thank you, Lord, that even if we have blown it in radical ways, you are such a gracious God. And and the truth be told, Lord, we've all blown it. And that's why you came. Because you love us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that's in the midst of serving their flesh, following hard after their will, having turned away from you, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that even now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, You would bring conviction, that would produce repentance, and that would bring comfort. And Lord, I pray for all of us, If there are areas of our lives where we're compromising, like this Levite, areas where we're allowing the things of this world to become the priority. Father, show us, not because we're legalistic, but Lord, we want to love you. We want to make you the, the, the primary and first thing in every aspect of our lives. And Lord, I also pray if anybody's here that was abused in any degree the way that this woman was abused, Lord, I pray that maybe as the text brought back bad memories, I ask in Jesus' name that you would comfort them right now. You would minister to their heart. Know that, Lord, that you're with them. Your hand is upon them. Strengthen them, Lord. So, Father, we love you. We praise you, we worship you, and Lord, we thank you even for chapters like this because they serve as a warning to us all. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Let's stand and close the worship song.